Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Well, hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. Glenn James here. Thanks for joining us today. We've got another really inspirational episode. John Pigeon and I had a chat with Brianna Throssell, a two-time Olympian swimmer. She's a medal winner. She is a rock star. We caught up with her earlier in the week, if you listen to the shows live, and she was still completing her quarantine in Howard Springs in Northern Territory. So we had a great chat with her in this episode. We talk about how much Olympians get paid in a little bit more detail. We talk about her journey, pressing pause on her career, going to uni and studying physio and all that to pursue her swimming career. And then while she's doing all this amazing stuff, you know, Rio games, training for Tokyo, she started a business, a side hustle, and it's a fascinating story. She built that up and she managed to sell it. You can get some real inspirational gems from this episode. I can't wait for you to have a listen. If you find it encouraging, please think of one friend that you can forward it to because Brianna, she is amazing and we are so, so excited and thankful that we get to have these amazing Olympians on our show, fresh in from the Tokyo Olympics. I'm going to leave it there. Let's get it on, baby. Brianna Throssell, thank you so much for joining John and I on My Millennial Money. Thanks so much for having me. Now, we want to start and talk about the Olympics and just kind of pick your brain to be around some of the best athletes in the world because you are considered one of the best in the world. What does that feel like? Just to, number one, be the best in the world at something, let alone the best in Australia. Yeah, it, uh, it's such an honour. I mean, like we have so many Olympic champions on the team and to be surrounded by them. I mean, in the lead up, we had, you know, we're surrounded by world champions and when we're training together, but, you know, we're now walking away and like the person who's next to me in quarantine, she's a dual Olympic champion. And I just think that is so incredible. And, you know, the Aussie swimmers swam so well and the rest of the Australian team. And it was just such an incredible Olympics to be a part of, given, you know, the lead up and the situation sort of around COVID. Mm. What was the feeling like in the Olympic Village with the other athletes from other nations? I mean, you probably only saw parts of the town in the bus to and from the airport, uh, but what was your overall vibe of the Olympics given that it was within uh, the lockdowns in Tokyo? Yeah, I think the sort of the world's perspective on, a, on it was that we were so excited to be there. You know, I, I, I'd spoken with a few people going in and we sort of said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we're day four and they just shut this whole thing down. Yeah. That, you know, the, the cases are just through the roof and so I think we, we kind of went in 
you know, pre- mentally preparing for the worst outcome mm. that, you know, we'd get there and we wouldn't even be able to race. So everyone was just so excited to be there, but everyone was so mindful of what was going on. You know, we wore gloves in the dining hall, like um, plastic gloves. And wow. we mm. like, we were so cautious with our masks. We, as soon as we left our apartment, we wore them the whole time. We, I don't know if you saw, but we wore our masks out onto the blocks and we took them off. Like it was the last piece of clothing we took off before we got on the blocks. We, we really tried to put in everything we could to ensure that to minimize any potential COVID spread, but everyone was just so excited to be there, but was also being very mindful of their health. Yeah, no, there's no doubt you did the the country proud, Brianna. Um, what was childhood like for you? Were you always going to be an Olympic swimmer? What uh, what? How did you start out in the sport? Definitely not. I think my parents wanted me to go into the medical field. Um, they're both dentists, and I think they probably had their hopes on me, sort of maybe taking that over one day. But that was definitely not going to be the case. I personally couldn't think of anything worse than looking in someone's mouth all day. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think they were sort of hoping I'd, yeah, study somewhere in the medical field. And I did sort of start out um, studying physio, but I found that that was a bit too difficult to manage swimming. But ever since a child, I I loved being in the water. I grew up in the hills of Perth, so I was never sort of at the beach, but we had a backyard pool and my parents sort of encouraged me as a, you know, a toddler to, to do swimming lessons, even, you know, mums and bubs, water lessons, that sort of thing. So I was in the pool from a really young age and I loved it. I just love being in the water. I think it's water safety is a huge thing in, in the Australian environment and, you know, beaches and pools, it's such a common thing. So learning to swim was a massive priority in my family, but they definitely had no desire. Or I mean, I, as a child, had no desire to go to the Olympics. I thought it was amazing watching on TV, but it was certainly never sort of my career path. But yeah, growing up, I loved it and I wanted to continue swimming. And I joined a squad when I was about 10 and just a few times a week. And yeah, it was a really natural progression. I just took it a little bit more seriously every year. When it came to high school um, in year 11 and 12, I really focused on school because I wanted to sort of get my, get my spot into physio. And yeah, after school, I decided to give a red hot shot at swimming. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to make the team, the Olympic team in 2016 and again in 2020. Awesome. Yeah. So two time Olympian, huh? Yeah. How's it feel? <laughs> Is it, uh, have, you, have you played that over in your mind a little bit? Two time Olympian? There's not many people that can say that. No, I, get, I haven't really. I think it might sink in when sort of I'm at home with friends and family and, you know, celebrating the return of the Olympics, whereas now we're sort of, we're still in Olympic mode and haven't yet sort of come down just yet. So I think, I think when I get home and see my friends and family, I'll be like, oh, wow, you know, I am and I can call myself a dual Olympian now. Mm. One thing I want to ask, and I think it's fascinating. So for me, um, hearing last year that the Olympics were postponed 12 months, like what does that do to your uh, physical training and your mindset building up to this huge goal than to say, than to hear, oh, actually push that out 12 months. Like, do you think there are some Olympians that couldn't sustain that uh, level of training for another 12 months or maybe just other people who wanted to join? What was that process uh, like in your mind? There's there's a few parts to that question. There are so many things like initially I was gutted and we didn't know that the Olympics were going to be on in 12 months time. They initially just said they're off. You know, there's no, we don't know what's happening. So that was a huge, a huge question. It's like, well, you know, 
are we training, you know, do I continue training? Are they going to be next year? Are they not? And then, you know, we did find out that, yes, the plan was in 12 months' time, so that was good. But then the issue was we, we had nowhere to train. Our country was in lockdown. We couldn't yeah. get any access to any pools. You know, there's not too many people with a backyard 25-metre pool floating around. So, yeah, and then it was it was totally left up to self-motivation to either swim in the ocean in, you know, sort of the start of winter, which was very cold. Mm. In Perth, it's quite sharky. Yeah, very. Um, yeah, yeah, we got lots of sharks floating around. Totally. Mm. Um, and yeah, swimmers aren't really great land animals, you know. Yeah. Uh, we can't really run. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we really had to get creative with how to stay sort of as fit as possible. But it was very, very self self driven. And and yeah, I guess we kind of thought, you know, the goal is Olympics next year. So that's what we have to stay fit for. But for a few people that you know, and some of my friends, it, it just wasn't wasn't viable for them. They sort of thought. You know, I, I'm getting engaged next year or I'm getting married next year. I want to, you know, work has offered me a full-time job. It's too bad. I want to move on with my life. I mm. planned for Olympics to be in 2020. I can't postpone my life for another year. And they, you know, decided to, um, so, to sort of hang up the togs then and there. Mm. But, yeah, every person's scenario was, scenario was very different. But And it also gave young athletes another 12 months to prepare. So, you know, for the up-and-coming ones, I think it was an absolute, you know, a really good thing for them. But maybe for the older athletes, it wasn't as good. Yeah, because the swimming squad had a lot of, uh, I don't, do you call them cadets or first-timers? I don't know what um, they We call, call them rookies. Rookies. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Debutants. <laughs> Debutants. Yeah, like I, I, I found that fascinating as well. And probably just a, a personal question from Glenn James, who isn't very sporty, quote-unquote, <laughs> Like if somebody like you, you know, last year they said the Olympics has stopped. If an Olympian then went, okay, I'm going to have three months off and literally just chill and have lockdown and do staycation, then I'll I'll start training again. Would that three months move the needle of not being in action? Well, I don't think uh, it maybe depends on the event that you swim. Sure. So for the distance events or say the 10K open water races, they come from a really heavy volume program. So I'm not sure if three months off would have sort of been very, I'd say it would have been detrimental. But sure. I know some swimmers on the team, um, like from the East Coast, that said they didn't go in the water until like October when they knew wow. that it would be on. Gosh. They said, no, I'm just going to go surfing every day. And mm. if it's on, that's fantastic. When I get clarity, I'll get back in the water. And if not, like they'll, they'll run the risk and it paid off. They had a great year in 2020, yeah. just maybe, taking it easy. Yeah. And maybe it freshened them up a little bit because it's, yeah. it's obviously very intense training seven days a week, three, 365, isn't it? So it's, it's really, a, uh, as a professional athlete, there's a lot of uh, the mental capacity side of things too, isn't it? Absolutely. There's got to be a predisposition that I'm a freak athlete mm. anyway. Mm. Like, I, there's no, I don't think Glenn James was ever built to be an athlete. <laughs> like, I've had every <laughs> joint of my body operated on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there is a genetic component for sure. Yeah. So, Brianna, yeah. like, sporting clubs in that instance, they, they bound you together and say, right, the coaches say this is what we're doing because the, the needle has changed. H- how do you go as an individual? Uh, is, it, is it Swimming Australia saying this is what you do? Is it your coach? saying go and have a month off or is it just up to you to say yeah this is what I'm going to do um swimming Australia sort of left it to our coaches so our coaches separate from swimming Australia so they kind of left it up to our coaches to sort of liaise with us what we wanted to do yeah and and then again it was really self-driven 
you know, that wasn't like you must run 10K every day and you must swim in the ocean 5K every day. It was very much like you do what you think you need to do and what you want to do. We can write a program for you if you would like and you can alter it. But, yeah, it was very much left – that ball was in our court. We could go to them and say, um, can you please write me a 10K running program to be to be able to run 10K in, you know, a few weeks or 10 weeks or – so, well, yeah, it was very – up to whatever we wanted to do. We're going to get on to money in a moment, but I just find that astounding. Like mm. our best athletes in the country are up, left to their own devices pretty much to say, oh, I might just sleep in today. Like I know you're highly motivated individuals, but that's what it comes down to. Yeah, but I, I don't know if you would agree with this, Brianna, but like for me with my work, I'm most productive if I'm working to my own cadence so the best oh, version absolutely. of glenn is when i'm the best version of glenn so don't make me freaking do something at 8 a.m hmm. like yep. we're not recording this episode at 8 a.m i can tell you that like no. it's 5 yeah. 5 p.m yeah, in the afternoon not. here you know what i mean so <laughs> yeah but, i absolutely agree yeah yeah but there's the other side of the coin it's like well you haven't got there by sleeping in and and doing things when you wanted you've been told and motivated to say right this is how much you're doing each week and and we're going to hold you accountable for that yeah yeah, we we were accountable, and but we knew what we were what we were working towards. So, but I also knew that if my body felt like it was Sunday and it needed a rest, yeah, I would take a rest because yeah. I felt like that's what I needed. But again, like you said, we are highly motivated individuals, and we do understand the work which we would usually be doing in the pool for next year. So we sort of try to replicate that work somehow in on land or in the ocean. So, if we move along to more of a money conversation, and maybe the pennies just drop for me, you know, all growing up through school and high school, the swimming kids like yourself, you would always swim in the morning before school and everyone, everyone's swimming at 5 and 6 a.m. Is the reason for the morning just because you do it before your day or is it better for the body or something like that? I don't know. Okay. I'm not too sure. <laughs> it might just be I, an organisational thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just something that's always been, it's it's just been drilled into the swimming culture all around the world is that you you swim early in the morning and then you swim in the afternoon. Like, yeah. I, so, I think it's a little bit because we have the ability to go and work during the day or to go and study, to go to school, that sort of thing. You know, it's not like AFL where this is our full-time job. Like yeah. we can just train in the middle of the day and have meetings and do gym and that sort of thing and just take up the whole day. You know, we do need to go off and do other things in the middle of the day. So yeah. I think that might be why. Well, there's a, a question here and this kind of could dovetail quite nicely from Rachel Connard. Uh, she's got a two-part question. I'll read it all. How do Olympic athletes with a corporate job feel about it? Would they rather be a full-time athlete if they could make ends meet doing so? Uh, could be a bit invasive, but I've wondered, does it cost more to be an athlete than it pays? Uh, net positive, net negative with respect to training versus costs and stipends and all that stuff. So, yeah, like if if you could be a full-time athlete and someone wrote a check for, I don't know, 80, 90 grand a year and said all your problems are gone financially, like would you take that? Brianna and go for it or do you find that you like the life balance of you know swimming morning and night and pursuing because we're going to talk about your side hustle and all that like where do you sit on that fence and what have you seen by most athletes in the swim squad and also the broader team that you've met if someone said that I could you know get this full-time salary from swimming from swimming alone I it wouldn't it wouldn't change my opinion on swimming 
Yeah. I think we, we do it because we love it. Mm. We like, we absolutely love the sport. We love the people we meet. We have such an incredible friendship, you know, within our squad, within people, people within Australia, you know, our international competitors and the thrill of getting up and racing, representing the country, getting to wear the green and gold, you know, maybe standing on the podium. It is so amazing. And I think that experience and that, that feeling outweighs money at the end of the day. But you'd take it, Brianna, wouldn't you? I'd take it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, like, you know, we are fortunate enough and the way to make money in swimming is to get sort of sponsors on board and, you know, uh, to win sort of medals at international competitions. Mm. And that has changed over the years for, for all interna- international athletes as well, hasn't it? Like uh, 30 years ago, it wasn't really – the money wasn't involved. It was just the prestige of going to the Olympics and, and representing your country. But uh, it's moved forward. But I, I still don't think it's moved to the level that uh, it deserves for – like Glenn mentioned, a full-time athlete. Or you, you are a full-time athlete, but you're not getting paid what a full-time athlete should be paid. Is that, is that a fair comment? Um, controversial one yeah it's a controversial comment and I'm so I'm sure there are many mixed opinions on there on that out there but yeah we certainly don't do something for for the money we yeah do it for the love and the honor of representing our country like podcasting really (laughs) (laughs) that's that's right we'll take sponsors if we can get it but otherwise we have fun correct Uh, (laughs) yeah because Gina Reinhart um has opened her purse hasn't she in the last few years and been a a massive advocate for um Olympic swimmers which is which is fantastic and I I think this year has been uh the first year that Australia have offered um some reasonable dollars um but in comparison to other countries for for medal winners we we were awarded 20,000 for gold, 15 for silver and 10 grand for bronze. But I believe there's a lot of other countries that have offered much higher than that. Yeah, um, I guess it's, you know, it's never about the money, but to if you win a gold to walk away with 20 grand is always very exciting. But I think when we sort of look at other countries and that Singapore, I think they get almost a million dollars for gold and yeah. Italy's 250,000. I think the US is paying nearly 40,000 for gold. So I guess when we compare it to other countries, it's a little bit on the smaller side. But at the end of the day, we are yeah, so thankful to be receiving anything for standing on the podium representing Australia. Yeah. And I guess the, the governments of the day figure like we would rather you know, spend that 50 million a year across as many athletes as we can, mm. as opposed to throwing a million dollars at one winner. One winner? Yeah, correct. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. it is so comforting to hear, Brianna, that, and we talk about it all all the time on the podcast, that to do something well, you've got to be passionate about it. You've got to enjoy it. So you're basically saying, well, I do this thing for free um, because I just love what I do. And I, I think that's outstanding. And that, that obviously shows in the results that you've got so far. Thank you. <laughs> Brianna, one question, um, and you don't have to talk exact numbers, but as long as you're part of the Australian swims, swim squad, do you get like a yearly stipend or something like that from, uh, they used to be the yeah. Australian Institute of Sport that I went to in year three in Canberra. Is that still there? It is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. How, how does that work um, for you? So we do get a base salary if we make the team. Yep. Yeah. And that is um, Mrs. Reinhardt. Uh, that is her 
like you, you mentioned before, right. that she has sort of sponsored to me Australia. That is her, yeah. um, where her money goes is to our base salary. Yeah. But even even so, before making the Olympics, Brianna, you, as athletes under the Australian Institute of Sport banner or, or the Australian Sports Commission, I think it is, isn't it? Um, there's some dais funding that all athletes have, yes. have ability to get. Um, can we? Yes, actually, we do. Yeah. Because I think that's uh, common knowledge. That's two payments per year. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, that's correct. Yep, and that is um, also tax-free money as well. Uh, yeah. What is it like? Twenty grand in total a year, or is it seventeen and seven something? Um, like something? Yeah, so it's it's very tiered. Um, the top is seventeen and a half yeah. biannually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that is a pretty yeah to have that as tax-free money is yeah quite mm. a great yeah, yeah very we're very thankful for that totally. And then so you know you've dedicated your period of your life to being um, in the Olympic team and you've got some government funding, which includes some GINA money and, and whatnot. Now, yep. then you've, I don't know if you want to give your sponsors a shout out on the podcast. Who are your sponsors? Oh, absolutely. Any chance to. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> so I, I find with Speedo Australia and Yopro. Awesome. So you can find them on Instagram, Speedo Australia and yep. Yopro. Now, <laughs> with their... So I guess what I'm getting at is you've got a coach and you might have some physios and dietitians and all that stuff. Do the, do the coaches for the swimmers generally just work on like some type of commission? We get X percent of anything you generate, including the government money and all your sponsorship money. How does that work conceptually? Uh, I don't think so. There might be a, like a commission, sort of a commission base to do with um, – like Swimming Australia or the you know the the DACE funding, yes. But in terms of um, sponsors and that sort of thing, no, not really. The our coach, so our coaches are usually either employed by a school like um, like St Peter's Western School in Brisbane. Sort of um, their coaches in the the coach of that is employed by the school. I know my coach um, Mick is employed by WAVE, so our Institute of Sport. So each each club and um, coaches sort of set up a little bit differently that and how they are employed and how their sort of salary works. Yeah, right. And I guess it's kind of good for, I guess, in that swimming ecosystem, if, you know, that coach's school coached Brianna and she went to the Olympics and, you know, it's good kudos for them as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, my coach isn't set up with a school, but I mean, the St. Peter's, the St. Peter's Western, that's, you know, Ariane Titmus who won two gold medals so individual gold medals so her you know that's a great um was that that coach like, who went wild yeah, yeah. yeah that's him. <laughs> so yeah i mean famous. that's yeah. it's awesome to sort of put it out there for the school as well yeah no that's really cool no i think it's just fascinating for people to understand a lot of people think olympian and they think you know thorpey and mm. you know the hackett and you know, yeah. hackett and you know kate and all the ones that have won millions of medals and mm. that you know millions of olympics and all that stuff um but for the i guess it's like any industry in any sport isn't it like there's only a a, a small percentage who will yeah. take the lion's share the of the sponsorship money and all that stuff so yeah but and I think yeah 
as we mentioned um, with our interview with Kate, like what it does and, and what the Olympics has been great for is it just gives inspiration to so many juniors coming through, watching the Briannas and the Kates on TV saying, I want to be her in three years' time or mm. seven years' time or when the next Olympic comes around. And I think it's just a fantastic um, feel-good uh, for, for the community regardless of the situation that we're in at the moment. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely what we wanted to do. We wanted to sort of just to – we were so united as a team and we just wanted to bring joy back to the Australians who were, you know, stuck at home in lockdown and that sort of thing and we wanted to just do Australia. Yeah, it honestly was the best time to have the Olympics for us in lockdown because it was the best time zone. Yeah. <laughs> it was just perfect. So, right. hey, one last question before we move on to like your side hustle and um, and what you're doing now. With you as uh, an athlete, um, if you've got intentions to go to Paris, how does that start? Like, do you automatically, uh, because you went in Tokyo, do you automatically get to the swims team for for Paris? Can you just help educate dummies Glenn. like me who don't know much about the <laughs> Olympic process? Yeah, oh, I wish I automatically qualified. Um, but <laughs> no, so... Um, we sort of work in four-year cycles, so the Olympics marks the end of the four-year cycle. But and I, my my plan is to continue and conti- to continue until twenty twenty-four, and then I'm hanging up the tog. Yeah. But we we reset everything now, so I know there's going to be a lot of changes of people moving clubs, people retiring, coaches retiring, that sort of thing, because it's the end of the cycle. But in in that being said, because it is only now a three-year cycle until Paris 2024, yeah. I think a lot of people are sort of like, well, it's three years. We've got Worlds and, and Commonwealth Games next year. It's a huge year of racing. Um, so why don't I just hang in there for another three years? So, yeah, I think maybe after 2020 there would have been a lot of retirements, but because it moved that year later, um, people are like, well, I'm, I can I can hang in there for three three more years. I can, I can do that. But yeah. We'll go through our qualification process all over again. So we'll have Worlds and Commonwealth Games in 2021, uh, 2022, sorry, Worlds yep. again in 2023, and then the Olympic year of 2024, we'll have our qualifications in, in June of that year. Right. So it's kind of right up to the last minute almost in terms of yeah, the Olympic team. Yeah, four five weeks out before the Olympics start, we pick our team. Yeah, we were in Adelaide when they were going our live podcast. Oh, that's yeah. right. I remember because you were watching or Correct. whinging about not being able to watch it or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Brianna, he rudely put our live event on at the same time that I should have been at the aquatic centre watching the swimming. Oh. That's right. It, it was actually in Adelaide, wasn't it? Correct. Yes. yes. Oh. Yeah, it was in Adelaide. Oh, yeah. we should have went along, John. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to, we, but you didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to transition to money and your side hustle, Brianna, but before we do that, we'll have a quick break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Brianna, uh, we're, we're Getting into this money stuff, um, it's a necessary evil. No. We mentioned before the break about the Deus funding and how it's, uh, twice a year you get some funding and then if you go to the Olympics, you get a, a few more dollars and there's bits and pieces everywhere and you've got sponsors and you've got a side hustle. How do you manage your money personally when you're not getting that weekly paycheck? 
Yeah, see, that's something that I will, I really look to improve on because it is so volatile from year to year. It's very performance-based. It also comes in a lot and then there's nothing. So, yeah, where it's a really strange setup where, you know, weekly or fortnightly, we don't get, you know, a sum of money into our account. So it's it's quite a strange setup that, you know, post-Olympics, it might be like, oh, my goodness, you know, I've got this money now. What can I do with it? But you have to be really mindful that, you know, once that's over, you know, you might not be receiving income for a couple more months. So, yeah, it's a really strange setup. And it's something that I really I look to improve on a lot is to sort of, you know, be more mindful and manage that and, you know, understand when when it comes in and where I should distribute it to. Mm. And do you get any assistance um, from the Swimming Australia or AOS in respect to that? No, not really. I mean, the course that you took, John, um, was the, was one of the only sort of financial, you know, courses that sort of have been on offer. I mean, we could always ask questions to be like, you know, do you have someone who you can refer me to to help me with this? And um, that would definitely, you know, write someone's name, but it's not something that's sort of inbuilt into our, you know, our swimming program. Yeah, because it's, I'm just thinking like the last thing that a top performing athlete would need, particularly any individual, is to be burdened emotionally and mentally with debt and a bad financial decision, right? Mm. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and and we don't want to dwell on this, but do you think people leave the sport because of the lack of funds available? Like they just can't continue to make ends meet and they just want to get on with their life and earn a full-time job or start having a family or something like that? No, I don't think so. I, I feel like when people finish swimming, it's because their body can't, you know, take it anymore or, you know, their shoulders, unfortunately, are a little bit you know, injured or um, or they're just ready, you know, they it's not due to financial, but they are ready to say, look, I'm ready to move on to a full-time job. I've had enough of following a black line. It, it's time. Mm. Yeah, I certainly uh, <laughs> didn't follow the black line for long myself. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to swim once. I went down to, oh, this <laughs> was years ago, and I, I jumped in the pool and I thought it was like the Olympics and you just got to go as fast <laughs> as you can. And then I was like puffed by halfway yeah. through, but apparently you're just supposed to, you know, take it easy. Yeah, and take it time. Slow and steady. That's Slow right. Steady. That's, That's right. right. That's my personality for you. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so tell us about your side hustle. Uh, you've just uh, moved it on and sold it. Um, how did that start? When did it start? Why did it start? Tell us. Yeah. Encourage so us. So my side hustle is West Coast Dress Hire. So it's a dress hiring um, business. I started it in 2018. I was out for breakfast. That's one of my favourite things to do. So I was out for breakfast with a friend and um, she had this dress and it was like, it was a really cute little dress, something that you'd wear to, oh, what would you wear to? Like a wedding guest or a cocktail night or something on the more formal a, side. A garden party, if you will. Yep, garden party, <laughs> that would work. And she was like, oh, like I've got this dress and I, um, and I had the same one in a different colour. And she said to me, she's like, oh, well, you know, are you in the group Clothes for Rent on Facebook? And I was like, no, 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 what's that? And she's like, oh, jump in it. And there was like, there's like 20,000 Perth girls in this Facebook group called Clothes for Rent. And she's like, oh, I just posted it in there saying, you know, this dress is available to rent for X amount of dollars. And she's like, oh, I rented it out, you know, seven times at $100. And then I sold it for half the price of what I paid. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I like that idea. I like buying clothes. Yeah. So, and I had the same dress in just in a different shade. And I was like, you know what? 
I'm going to try this. Mm. So, yeah, I joined joined the little group and I had two dresses, which I was like, oh, you know, I could rent these out and and the rest is history sort of thing. Mm. Um, mm. I I loved doing it and I was like, oh, Dad, can you take me to, to Kmart? Let's go get a clothing rack. Yeah. So um, I bought this like oh, little, little clothing rack and it was tiny and I think I had five dresses on five hangers. <laughs> And then I bought a portable mirror, and I was like, "This is awesome! This, this, we're gonna we're gonna make something of this." And yeah, I guess I the first year I just really put money back into buying dresses because that was sort of the way that I found I needed to grow. There was no point in me drawing a wage, so I invested everything back into the business because the more dresses you had, and the more variety, the more the different sizes, the more you catered to you know twenty first to wedding guests to you know different sorts of events, the more people sort of would would come and to try on. So how long ago did you start the you know that first so, let's go to Kmart and get this thing happening? That would uh, like August September of 2018. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And then then a year later I um launched a website. A year after that I moved to Shopfront. And then a year after that I'm selling. So everything kind of worked in wow. in a year cycle co- coincidentally. But yeah, I like I threw a party every year. And mm-hmm. I felt like that was really great publicity. I invited yeah, sure. whoever I could, like any sort of influencers around Perth. And, yeah. you know, we did a launch party for the website and then we did a shop front opening party. Yeah. That's cool. And and did you have, like over in the West, are you not, not a superstar, but are you well known because of your swimming prowess? Did that help in, in building that brand? I, I do believe it has helped, yes. And I have tried to capitalise on that like with my sort of social media following and if if a journalist ever said, hey, Brie, we'd love to run an article on you, um, you know, growing this side hustle, I'd jump at that opportunity because I knew that that would really help the business. So I did try to maximise, I don't want to like sound arrogant, but I tried to maximise my name to help the business grow. Yeah, and you've, you've really got to do what you've got to do in business. Like some people don't have a name, but they might have uh, some good local roots deep into their local community that they can tap into. Like whatever your thing is, and I'm talking to everyone listening right now, what's something that you've got? It might not be a high profile name, but it might be something that someone doesn't have that you can capitalise on. Now, I'm a bit of a fashionista. You wouldn't get it, John. Uh, but <laughs> what type of brands are we buying? Like, because obviously you're not going to rent out Kmart dresses, but maybe like, I don't know, Prada might be too exclusive. So, what type of um, price point are you buying? And when you do go and buy a dress to stock to hire out, are you buying, you know, 10s, 12s and 16s or whatever, three shapes, three sizes, three colors of the one thing? Like, Talk to us about brands and how you went about that. Yeah, so initially I there's I usually mostly buy Australian brands and in the West we have a designer called Natalie Rolt and she's um, she's based in Perth and it's a huge, huge brand in Perth. So I stock a lot of her stuff and it's just loved. And she does, you know, your casual well not casual, but your linen your linen like resort wear to yeah. evening gowns. So it is really well loved and in particular on the east. And I guess I was fortunate enough that I could, I can go into her, um, to her, to her studio, and I can try things on. I can buy it, and we have that in the on the west, and the east doesn't have that. So it was, it was really popular on the east coast, and I was sort of one of the ones which had a sort of a bigger sort of stock of her collection, which I found like a really huge, um, huge bonus for me. But yeah, I guess uh, brands like Beckenbridge, Zimmerman, Camilla, Natalie Rolt, um, Stalin, Theodore. 
they're they're high end, but they're not that designer. Yeah, you know, you don't. I don't stock the the Prada, the Louis, that sort of thing because it, it's just not worth. It's not worth it if you know they're five thousand dollars to buy. A girl's not going to pay more than two hundred dollars to hire. Yeah. So I I base my price point either twenty twenty five percent um of the recommended retail price. So I know in a minimum of five wears that the dress is paid for, and after that it's all you know I'm generating profit. So that's what I try base it off. Did you ever use any debt in the business, or was it just literally investing profits back into the business? Yeah, I never never did took out a loan or anything for the business. I love that. Um, yeah, I guess like I wanted to, in, like, no matter how long it took me to go to Shopfront and to, you know, to pay for a fit out for the Shopfront, I wanted to take that time. I didn't want to, I didn't really know where I was heading with the business. And if I did want to sell, I didn't want to have a debt. So yeah. I took the time, um, you know, to generate enough to, to go to storefront and to do a shop fit out, but to also continue buying dresses because the way to grow is to just continuously buy new stock because I found that girls just, they just want the latest and greatest. Mm, cool. So Brianna, why the whirlwind tour? The, the let's start it up, it will make some money. Let's get a shop front. And now hang on, someone's going to buy this from me. I'm, I'm out. Is, uh, was it a too good an offer to refuse or are you just going on to something bigger and better? What, what was the plan there? Yeah, I guess in my mind, I'm always a bit of a, if, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it really quickly. Like in terms of moving to a shop front, I had the idea in my head and four weeks later I had the keys to the to the um to the shop. Yeah. Awesome. So I if I do something, I quickly commit and I'm doing it. So I spent one weekend looking at yeah, I drove around with my parents because like, I want I like I value their opinion a lot mm. um, and their business choices. So I said, Can you come with me? I'd like to just look at, you know, these five places which were sort of nearby to where I was living because I was based out of home before going to Shopfront. So I knew my market wouldn't want to travel, you know, 40 minutes to go try and address. So I wanted to keep it fairly central to where I was. So I, yeah, I said, can you please come with me to have a look? So I went out and had a look and decided on one and gave the agent a call. And four weeks later, I had the keys, the keys to the shop. Hey, what, um, at the kind of peak before you, you know, um, passed the baton on, how much stock do you reckon you had in terms of dresses, in terms of value? In terms of value, like, or would you have I, twenty grand worth of dresses? Was that- oh no, more like a hundred grand of dresses. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> do you, like, do you um, like dresses? You, you're. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it, and I'm just. You know what? I'm gonna miss buying them. It's my passion. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You're the only one who can buy tax deductible clothing. Gosh. Exactly. It's so good. I I just find this fascinating from a uh, environmental eco vibe, like not waste, go and hire a dress for the weekend. Um, It's just a win-win, isn't it? Yeah. Amy did it um, before COVID and I was like, oh, that looks great. Um, But why are you packing it up and sending it away? I was like, yeah, because I rent it. Yeah. yeah, It's ingenious. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Absolutely. I feel like it's um, like, you know, fast fashion is, fast fashion is killing their environment. And, you know, if we can help minimize that, and, and it, I feel like Instagram and social media is another huge thing that's driving it. It's, oh, you can't be seen in the outfit twice. And, you know, <laughs> girls don't have the money for every weekend to go and buy a new $200, dollars dress. And yeah. if they can rent it at $50, $60, then, you know, they're saving money. We're saving the environment. And it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah. A dear friend of mine in the podcast, Alex German, if you're listening, this is for you. Go and hire more dresses. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> a quick question on that, like – 
you know, there's obviously going to be some staple type vibes or linen stuff that you might be able to keep for a couple of years. But did some dresses have a life cycle where it's like, well, we just kind of uh, rent it out over four months or whatever, double our money on it and then sell it for half what we paid for it? Like what's the, is, was there a hard and fast rule on that? It varies so much. Yeah. Like so, so much. And it also depends on the girl who's hiring. You know, if I, I think I had a dress, which was, um, it was a beautiful like silk dress and it was a bit of a longer dress and she just put a 10 centimeter hole straight in the bottom of it with her stiletto. Yeah. So, you know, and that was the first wear. Yeah. So and, that got one wear. And how much bond did you take for most dresses? So we have some pretty strict T's and C's on our website that, um, so we basically say that it's the it's the recommended retail price minus the higher price that yep. you paid. Um, that's the difference you need to pay to us and yep. you can keep the garment. Yeah. Or if you trash it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if it's irreparable, yeah, they can keep it provided it's they pay that. Yeah, and if they want to repair then, it themselves, knock yeah, themselves out. Yeah, or if they yeah. want to take the hem up, or um, you know, yeah, mm. they can do do what they please with it. And to be honest, everyone has been incredible. Like yeah. I've never had an issue with someone with with someone sort of kicking up a bit of a fuss with that. Mm. One of my friend, a good friends, is um, high up in Beckenbridge, and uh, she uh, sells off her all her unwanted goods at the end of the month. Yeah, wow. She's got a, yeah. a list yeah. of people that know they'll they'll buy them, but. Um, um, did you always have entrepreneurial mindset, Brownie? You said your mum and dad, you appreciate their advice. Did they um, give you some tips and tricks or did you just fall into it because you had a love for dresses? Oh, I didn't even know I had a love for dresses. And I was studying physio, so I was pretty set on sort of heading towards the medical field. But I don't know, I sort of started this up and I thought, oh, you know, I'm really enjoying running a business. And I had seen like my parents have their own um, dental practice and I sort of, mum is more sort of the account side of it and I see what she does and I mean it's incredible that they they have such a clientele that they don't have a website they don't have a work phone number it, or like a mobile yeah. um it's it's incredible how successful it is without the use of sort of social media and websites and that sort of thing but um I knew that you know dress high is going to be very different to sort of um <laughs> running a dental practice mm. but yeah I guess I I really enjoyed it but I didn't it was it definitely started as a hobby and I didn't really want to take it too seriously um and then when I put a pause on physio due to sort of swimming commitments I thought oh well you know why don't I study um study business so um I yeah I study business and it, yeah it has gone hand in hand with with my um with the business that I own so you know at the peak of the business now like it was obviously um profitable enough to pay for rent, obviously pay for accounting, bookkeeper, insurances and all that. Um, yep. Was it a profitable thing for you? Like, could you actually draw down real yeah. money on it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's something that I'm, I'm so proud of. I, and I probably never, like, I, I love looking at the figures and I guess I, I never really took them in until I sold it and someone said, well, you kind of sell it at, you know, at what profit is time, like times one or times one and a half. And I was like, holy moly, like mm. I've built this business and I can sell it for that plus stock. And I was just, I guess that's the kind of point where I was like, wow, I am, you know, really proud of myself for building this up from from starting with a clothes rack in the spare room with yeah. five coat hangers in it. 
And I think that's, you know, you, I was going to, I joke, I had a joke to myself in my own head when you said that <laughs> I was going to, uh, when you said I'll study business and I thought to myself, well, the best way to study business is to run one for three years. Mm. Um, <laughs> so what's, uh, well, actually, I'm going to ask you what's next because uh, we'll wrap this um, up to go. Uh, but I'm going to ask you two things. Uh, the first one is if you had any or three bits of advice for a young person that were thinking about doing something on the side um, as a business side thing or whatever that is, you know, what would the three top things be that um, you've learned by either making the mistake or doing it and making that thing work? What, what will your three things be? Three things. Okay, my first would be to take an educated risk. Mm, so um, good. I feel like I, yeah, like I, when I was 19, I went out and I purchased a house, which was at 19, I was like, oh my goodness. But, you know, I took an educated risk and it was the best thing I've ever done. And same with sort of moving into a shop front. I, I was like, look, this could pay off. I don't know if it will. And it was, you know, I thought it would and I sort of weighed it up. But yeah, it absolutely was. And the store has never been busier since moving to Shopfront. So an educated risk would be my first um, sort of point. And the second would be to learn to learn how you're going to be different to the market. Yeah. Like what are you sort of going to offer in your business or your service or whatever it is that's different to people um, do, doing similar things? Like I really tried to pride myself as soon as a new dress dropped, I tried to get it in store. Like yeah. as soon as it dropped, I was online, I was buying it, express shipping absolutely, and I wanted to be the first to get it in store and to create that hype around that dress. I think is to uh, to embrace competition. Yeah, but maybe that's because I've got a bit of a competitive mindset due to swimming. <laughs> um, I guess keep an eye on um, lane five. Yeah, yeah, but like, or keep an eye on oh, you know, this business that's up and coming, or this business that you know I'm, you know, they're a lot bigger than me, and I'd love to be like that. Is is to embrace it? Like they're going to challenge you and push you to you know, to, to grow your business and to be, to make it as successful as you can. Mm. Keeps you on your toes, yeah, doesn't it? they're my three points. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. that's awesome. John, do you want to finish on a, a question? And then I'm going to ask Brianna, what's next? Oh, God, okay. <laughs> I did. don't even know. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Your question, John. <laughs> uh, so, Brianna, the business owner or the, whoever you've sold it to is taking that over. Um, is that the the lease of the premises plus the um, the outgoings and, and the business model itself? How have you packaged that up for, for any entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, so I, um, this is, I sold the business myself. I didn't go through a broker or anything like that. So uh, what it was was basically what I priced the business at, which I sort of based off one to one and a half times profit. And Plus, sorry to stop you there. Was that that's the industry recommendation? That you did your own research around? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah, it is. And I had a couple of phone calls with um, potential brokers before I decided to sort of go out on my own. Yes, yeah, so that was sort of the recommendation. So that was the price plus stock, which um, yeah, I put my own personal value on it. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the lease, yes, yeah, so I leased the premise. The it would just they just needed to sign the lease over from sort of my name to their name. So it was just a bit of a little bit of um, paperwork. Cool. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. But it was a big decision to not go through a broker. And I, I guess I sort of thought to myself, well, look, I've got a little bit of social media following. I'm just going to put this out there personally and for the business. And if it fails and there's not much interest, then I can go through a broker. But, you mm. know, I'd rather not sort of pay that fee and I, I'm just going to 
you know, try this as best as I can. And I am so thankful that I did. The amount of interest was unbelievable, just through the roof. Yeah. I I sold my business, you know, not through a broker myself. And it's just such a better experience anyway, because I think what you find when you go direct, you're getting people who genuinely want to be involved in the business as opposed to just buying a profit machine. Anyone, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Where yep. a broker will just go, oh, you're retiring from the workforce. Do you want to buy a dress company to yeah. run? Like, You'll oh, be okay. a fit when you're actually yeah. nowhere near a fit. Um, so, mm. did you uh, – tell me to shut up and go away. Uh, but did you negotiate full payment up front or was it like a 50% and then the rest in six months or some vendor finance? How did you do that? I believe – yeah, it's full payment up front. Oh, love it. Yeah. How good yeah. is that? <laughs> Win-win. Yeah. So, when's your next property? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, the goal is next year. Yeah. Next awesome. year to buy and reno yeah. with my partner. Love it. Nice. Love it. Well, we might leave it there. We've uh, taken an hour of your time almost uh, while you're holidaying in Howard Springs uh, in the Northern <laughs> Territory. So, um, look, if John can ever help you uh, with your money or questions, feel free to um, email either John or myself and I'll make sure John gives an hour of his time for yes, you. Yes, I will. You like that, John? Oh, no, thank you so much. So, yeah. I really appreciate that. If you ever want to, um, you know, bounce anything off us as in John, uh, we are as in John more than happy to, to help and I, I seriously mean that. He's, uh, he's more than happy to help you for, um, yeah, just giving us your time and sharing so much experience and uh, for a 25-year-old, you're 25? Mm. Yeah, Yeah. 25. Yeah, I think you've just, um, you're just going to have the best life only because (laughs) you've got, you know, good goals, good mindset, you know, you will take a risk Mm. and it's just awesome to see and hear this and I can't wait to see you on the blocks in Paris. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I might see you on swim deck myself. You never know, yeah. John. You can share the black line with Glenn. Huh? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. They're really kind words and, yeah, they do mean a lot. Yeah, no worries. And what's your Instagram so everyone can jump in and have a, a look at you and your followers and all that stuff? Um, I'm it's sounding just, old. Yeah, yeah. At- Brianna Throssell. Yeah. Yeah. Very simple. Just my first and last name. Love it. Love it. Brianna Throssell, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Brianna. Thank you. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 